How many of you like to just like read the read the scripture? Like I don't know, it's like something about just like reading the scriptures and just like listening to them is like my favorite thing. Um, I was like, you know what? You don't even need to preach, really. You could just read the Bible, and it's just like, oh, that's better than anything I have to say. Um, but um, just to give a little guidance. Um, I always try to do this every year because people come from various backgrounds. During this during this season is um, it's called Advent. We we take this time um, to the, the church globally is utilizes these times of year like Advent and Lent to worship and to pray through and to reflect upon some similar passages and stories. And it's been practiced for a long time. Um, we don't think that you get any extra God points by doing a tradition. We just, we just believe that practically speaking, um, there, there's, there's two great benefits. Practically speaking, we, we keep telling these, these stories which are foundational to the gospel, um, who Jesus is, who our, our lives are, how the kingdom um, has unfolded. We tell these stories every year because these are the foundational stories of the gospel. And the second, the second thing is we get to participate in unison with a global and historical worship that's happening. And so I, I, I find, as a charismatic, I find great value in the spontaneity and the, and the suddenness of how God loves to work. And I also find great value in the unity of how He works. And so we take this time, we will read through a lot of scripture during, during Advent, and we will sing some songs that are, that are hymns, and hymns sometimes, you know, uh, you know, aren't as exciting to our, to our brains as what we're used to. But we, we do this time intentionally to be able to sing and to pray, to go through scripture in a way that immerses us in the story. Everybody okay with that? Um, how many of you had a good Thanksgiving week, other than the Cowboys losing? Um, I thought, man, we're going to get one. No, we didn't. Um, but uh, who went out of town? Anybody go out of town for Thanksgiving? Okay. All right. Well, we, we typically have, we go to my parents, or my family's house, and then Andrea's family's house, and so we, you know, are kind of all over the map. I mean, it's in Dallas, but we're, we spend all day driving and one of the things that's happened the last couple of years, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. Um, turkey's okay. Like, I know this is like sacrilegious to say, but it's it's fine. It's good. But yeah, well, I mean, like, I, I've never had a turkey that blew me away. Like, I'm just being honest. And so a couple of years ago, my like I started getting into barbecue and my parents were like, hey, let's do the brisket. And that turned out people like that a lot. And um, people in Texas tend to like brisket. And so this year my mom was like, are you going to be cooking anything for us this year? And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to cook for 12 hours. So um, I decided I'm going to cook ribs. And here's the thing about barbecue is, you know, and we talk about this word preparation. In, in the realm of things there's so much like barbecue itself is a preparation like you're you're you know you're cooking meat at a, a certain temperature to let it like different chemical things happen in the meat over time to make like tougher meats be more 
tender and nice. And getting ready to prepare the meat through the barbecue is a preparation in itself. And I was like, well, I'm going to just cook something that's not 12 hours. I'm going to cook ribs. It only takes me a few hours. So I was like, I'll just like, I'll figure it all out in the morning. You know, that, that was a mistake. And um, I woke up in the morning and realized a few things. First of all, I did not have charcoal. Now, let me tell you, I... <laughs> I cook on a I cook on a stick burning barbecue pit because I'm a man and um, <laughs> which means you use wood you know like you, you know people use for a long time and you know but like I typically use you know charcoal to get the thing started and so I realized okay I didn't know how to have charcoal. Then I walked outside to get this fire started like the old-fashioned way where I'm like gathering sticks. You can't like just throw lighter fluid in your smoker. It will smell your whole smoker like lighter fluid. So I'm like gathering sticks and like building a fire like I'm, you know, surviving in the wilderness. And I'm building this fire. And then I realized that this wood is way more wet than it should be. And so then I realized that we were having 20 mile an hour gusts of wind. And like any, any maybe two out of these three things I could handle with some relative ease, but you know, we, you know, they didn't, all three of them just didn't work out for me. And so probably like a couple hours later, I had a fire going and I ended up finishing. <laughs> I don't, like it took I had a little fire going, but that to get that thing, you know, rolling, it took much longer than any fire I've ever built. And, and I'm, I'm pretty decent at building a fire. And so anyway, this barbecue cooked. Like, I finished it. I got my couple hours of smoke, finished it in the oven at my parents' house. And it finished after everybody was finished with lunch and dessert. And so I was like, somebody try the ribs. I was like, felt like, you know, I don't know, like Mary Poppins. At like, tuppence for the birds. I was like walking around trying to get somebody to try these. They were pretty good. Um, but anyways, I have a bunch of ribs now in my fridge because no one was hungry at that point. Um, I don't know, preparation, like, <laughs> I spent more time telling that story than I expected to. Um, I, I, uh, it is a time of preparation. And let me, let me, let me say this, like, Advent is the it's the coming, the advent of God coming into our world. And one of the things that we do, fun anecdote, one of the things that we do that's a fatal flaw for modern Christianity is that we rush to apply the scripture before immersing ourselves in its story. And I remember a few years ago, like everybody was like, life application, life application, life application teaching. And I was just like, okay, it's like, here's how you're supposed to be in the business world. Here's how you're supposed to be a parent. Here's how you're supposed to do this. And it's like, everything we were teaching on is how do we apply this into some little area of our life? And for most of the time of Christianity, that wasn't the primary concern. Like, you don't, you don't look at the, at the art or the sermons throughout the history of the church, and it's like they're trying to figure out how to become a better farmer. Like, it's about telling the story of Jesus. 
And so when we're, when we're in this time of Advent, like, we aren't going to be as focused. There will be some application, but we aren't going to be as focused on how do we narrowly apply this to some specific area of our lives? Because it's not like our goal is not to fit the gospel into all the little areas of our life, but to be swallowed up by the story of Jesus. To be so enamored, so in wonder with what He has done, that our, that it, our lives no longer make sense. Like, I want to look more like Jesus. And so that's our focus. In, in the reason preparation is important is that Israel prepared. There's two, two primary you know, elements of God's coming that we recognize. We recognize that He came as Messiah to His people, Israel, but also that He's coming, that He is returning. And, and that He's, I guess the third thing, which is less, but part of it is that He's always wanting to come into our lives. And so we, it's important that we prepare our hearts to remember, to be reminded of the comings of Jesus. And the way that he works in our world. So, in light of that, um, I'm going to read from this week's text. It was read. It's Jeremiah 33. Um, this is from the lectionary. If you if you have any interest in looking at the scriptures ahead of each week, you can look at them on on the New Revised Lectionary. Um, just Google that, and you can find it. But this is this is this week's text. It says, this is Jeremiah the prophet prophesying while Israel is in exile and while they're under um, Babylonian occupation. And so it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the the good promise I made to my people Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do just, he will do what is just and right in the land, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. So I want to like back up a little bit and land us in the time in which Jeremiah is prophesying and this prophetic text in specific. So like rehashing the whole story, there's this guy named Abraham. And God comes to him and he says, I'm going to make you a nation. And I am going to bless your offspring. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham has some kids and their kids have some kids. And long story, they end up in oppression in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God, who is faithful to his promise, says, He hears the cry of his people and he says, I'm going to deliver you from your oppression under Pharaoh. And so they, you know the story, they go through the Red Sea, they wander around in the wilderness, they finally get to this land of promise and they inhabit this land that God, that God has given them. And, you know, years go by and there's this man named David, this King David. And God again says to him, as he had said to Abraham and as he had said to Moses, he's like, I'm for my people. I'm with my people and I want to bring them into the fullness of all that I promised them to. I'm summarizing, but this is kind of what he said. 
And he's like, I want to bring them into, and so I'm going to use you to do a few things. And God uses David to restore and to bring about a great reverence for God and his presence through the tabernacle. And then he uses his son Solomon to build this temple. And he he promises David the same kind of thing he promises Abraham, which is like, hey, I'm working through your family and like on your, you know, your throne will never go away. I'm going to use your throne to redeem my people. And so this, I want you to just like tie these threads together. They just, they, the ball keeps bouncing down the field. And so there are kings that come after David and they're not, most of them are not good kings. You know, the Israel and Judah split into two nations, you know, Judah and Israel in the north and the south. And you know, all of this happens. God continues to be faithful, continues to promise His redemption. But at the end of these line of kings, they are ultimately going to be conquered by a foreign king. And there's like right at the end of both Second Chronicles and Second Kings, you see kind of like the final demise of this of this time of Israel's history where they had these line of succession of kings. And there were four kings that come right at the end. Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. It's like all J's, then then Zed. But Josiah is a really interesting one because Josiah, actually, this is kind of like little side fact point for you. Like I I, when I was, we were wanting to name, I wanted to name our son Judah. And Andrew was kind of like, I don't know about that name. And Josiah was like my backup name. I was like, if I can't get Judah, I'm going to get Josiah. The reason I like Josiah is because all the traditions of following God, of reading the scriptures, of praying, all of these things had been lost under Josiah. Like they were forgotten. And he like brought them all back and he restored reverence for God and right worship and cast down idols and did all this incredible stuff. And it was like this last moment of purity and righteousness for the nation of Israel that God was using to prepare his people. And then, like, as he passed on, you had these three kings. And under these three kings, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he conquers. Um, the land. He, the, he conquers the whole land of Israel. And, but, but here's the interesting thing is, even though they had this reformation happen, Josiah, or Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 7, he basically says this. I'm trying to cover a lot of ground, so I'm not going to read every scripture. In Jeremiah 7, it says, you trust in the temple, but you oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Like, you've restored all these things, but you're still, it hasn't transformed you. Yeah, I've, I've always been interested why, like, there's so much attention in the Old Testament to the stranger or the foreigner. Actually, this, this Advent season, we are focused on thematically calling this, like, Advent through the eyes of a stranger. When you think about Jesus... Jesus comes from heaven to earth. He leaves his home. And then his family has to go from where they're at to Bethlehem. 
And then when they are fleeing for their life, they have to leave from Bethlehem to Egypt. And so like all of Jesus' early existence is him being a stranger in a foreign land. I think um, this is kind of like a stretch. But here's what I want to encourage you to do in this Advent season. There's two things that, that come to my mind when we think about the stranger. Is firstly... I would like us to approach this story as if it is new to us, as if it's strange to us. When I was rereading, I'm trying to like, anytime I'm preaching a narrative, like because I'm not preaching like a specific teaching to you, I'm trying to go through the narrative, I'm always like brushing up on my, on my history, biblical history, and like just following the story. And I was surprised at how the story surprised me again. And so one of the things that we need to do in our life with God is not become so familiar with these stories that we think we have them mastered. Like the point of studying the Scripture is not to master the Scripture, it's the Scriptures to master us. And So I, I want it to be strange. But the second thing is, there's so much emphasis in Scripture around taking care of, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the foreigner, the stranger. Like, this time, I remember Robert Morris, I heard him say this years ago. He talked about, in a Christmas message, he talked about how for so many people, this is a season that's not happy. This is a season where all of the losses they've experienced, the pains they've experienced, become more potent than ever before. And I think that we should be reflective as we come to this time of Jesus coming into our lives and coming to Israel and His return, we need to be reflective of the suffering that people are enduring. Like we have to carry a message of hope that's contextualized with the reality of suffering. That's what the Advent story is. And there's people, there's, there's those that they feel far, they feel estranged, they feel like a foreigner right now to anything, like a message of hope, joy, any of that. It just feels like, I don't even want to hear that. And so I just want to encourage you as, we, as we're in this season to be mindful of those that th- this, is a, this is a mixed time, if that makes sense. Side point, but just wanted to make the point. Um, so on with the story. Um, after Josiah, you have these wicked kings, and then finally, like initially, like Nebuchadnezzar comes and invades the land, and then he destroys the temple under King Zedekiah. And I want to read to you Second Kings uh, twenty-five, eighteen or eight through seventeen, just so you can hear the story. It says on the seventh day. The fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard and official of king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar... Nebuchadnezzar Aden, the, I can't say that name, 
the commander of the guard carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. The commander left behind some of the poorest people in the land to work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the wick trimmers, the dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers and the sprinkling of the bowls, all that were made of pure gold and silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands, which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 18 cubits high. The bronze capital on top of one of the pillars was three cubits high and was decorated with a network of pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with all its network was similar. And so here's what happens they come in, they destroy everything. Show this picture real quick. Um, this is a piece of art from the 19th century. Um, this artist is Francesco Hayez, and this is actually the most notable piece of art on the destruction of the temple. And you can see, like, you see like the, oh, my brain is losing track of the, the candle. What is this thing called? The, for Hanukkah right here. You could see it being, yeah, menorah. The menorah is being carried away. People are being thrown over um, the altar. Like all this stuff is happening. And I want you to get this picture because there is not anything in our culture that, that is similar to this. There is, there is nothing in our culture that can help you understand how disillusioning this is. Like, we have this benefit, actually Jeremiah prophesied this, that when we pray, what God says about our covenant is that he, we are a temple with His heart inside us. There's no, there's no walls over our temple. Like, He's living inside of us. That's the kind of covenant He made with us. But this is like everything to an Israelite. This is their worship. This is their connection with their God. This is their connection with their own identity, with their own ethnicity, their own like legal system. This is literally everything. There is, there is nothing that I can even culturally, it would be if your house was burned down and you were carried away into exile, it would not be the same as this. Like th this is their connection to God. This is literally everything that an Israelite has when this temple was destroyed. And so, like, you have to think, when Jeremiah prophesied this message of hope that we read, that's what happened to him. Everything he's known has been taken, and the people have been taken to another land where they worship other gods, and they have to just deal with it. And it's fascinating to me that like the things that will make me feel hopeless. Like I'm like, man, I had a bad day. <laughs> like, God, I need you to restore my hope. Like they had everything taken from them. All right, you with me? Like I want us to get the picture. 
So in, in Jeremiah 29, I'm getting us back to the text we read. I hope you're okay with me going through a lot of Scripture today. Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah prophesies this message. He says to them, after everything has been destroyed, after they've been carried away, after all has been lost, after their entire worldview, this is like if God lost, like, I don't know, this, if you're an Israelite, it feels like God lost. It feels like everything I've ever said about God winning, He lost. So after all of that, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah sends this message because he was actually locked up in Jerusalem. He sends this message to all those in exile. And he says, here's what I want you to do. This is what God says to do. Build houses, plant gardens, marry wives, pray for the peace of the city that you're in, which is the enemy city. If it prospers, you will prosper. That's what he tells them. Do you think that this is like something people want to hear? No. Like, in fact, there's another prophet who's prophesying, oh, God's going to, he's going get to us, get us back in two years. It's a false prophet. And so when we read Jeremiah 29 11, when it says, somebody quote me the verse, for I know the plans that it has for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. This is followed up with that. That's, that's where this lands. He's saying, build homes, do your thing in the enemy's land that destroyed everything you have. Pray for them. It's all going to be good. That's when we get Jeremiah 29, 11. It's not on the mug of coffee in the morning when you started your day perfectly. It's in the worst of times. The absolute worst of times. And on top of all of that, you got this other guy who's over here saying, it's good, like God's going to restore it all in two years' time. I, I remember at the beginning of COVID, there were people who were prophetically saying, COVID is going to go away in a few months. And we're not going to have ever thought about it. It's not even going to be a big deal. How many of you remember anything like this? Sometimes people prophesy what they think they want or what might, they think might be best. Not what God's saying. So you have one message saying, God's going to fix this all in two years. And you have Jeremiah saying, listen, God is still for us, but right now, we have to live in the provision that is before us. We have to live in the provision of this land for 70 years. Sometimes you don't get, you, you live waiting the promise, but in the provision. You, you know what I mean? Like you, you, there's a promise, like, like Jesus is going to make this world right. He is going to make everything, He is going to find a way to restore all things. But right now, we live within the provision as we await the promise. Sometimes our temples and things we cling to get destroyed. And our spiritual approach is, God, we want you to fix it all in one year. And it's like, sometimes that doesn't happen. Like, 
And I, th- I think one of the things that we've been learning in our journey as a community is that sometimes God doesn't want to take us around suffering. He wants to take us right through it and provide for us in the midst of it. And just to be present with us. You know in that that prophetic text in Jeremiah 7. That part about the strangers and the widows and orphans and all of this. Jeremiah who loves the temple of God. Is like you focus too much on the temple. And it hasn't changed your life. So sometimes God needs to let things get removed from us that have actually been places of Him speaking to us, Him working in us, Him revealing Himself. He has to remove things that we've clung to because He wants us to cling to Him alone. So I wrote this down that Advent is a story of God's people remaining faithful through suffering and then, like literally, when I'm like writing my message, it's like this like stream of consciousness. I'm just like writing, and then you know I correct things later. And then I just wrote down correction, like, like, like as if it was a you know word correct or something. I just literally was like typed out correction. And my correction is: this Advent is not a story of God's people remaining faithful through suffering. In fact, many of the people weren't that faithful. The story is that God is faithful. (laughs) Always. He is always faithful. He is always faithful. And all He asks us to do is to cling to Him as we await for the promise. As we await for the coming of Jesus. Like He's, I believe He is coming. Like there's the day where He will come like clouds in the sky. Like He will come in that way. I don't know if it's a hundred million years or if it's like nothing I ever know, but I believe He's coming. Like, I, some of the part of the church I grew up in, it was like He was always coming tomorrow. But, I don't subscribe to that, but I believe He's coming. But while I await for that promise, I'm aware of His provision. Okay, so the application, if you will, for today, is that we can look to the nation of Israel and recognize that God is faithful. But if we try to put our projections on His plans, we will become greatly disillusioned. You know, we're like, God's, you know, He's got this. We're going to fix this in two years. We're going to be out of here. We're going to kick Nebuchadnezzar's butt. It's going to be over. But that wasn't the word of the Lord. And so I want, to, I want you to come back. And I want all of that narrative and story to contextualize hearing this promise. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line and he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness, our righteous Savior. So Jeremiah all of this, he's imprisoned, 
Everything's destroyed. Nation exiled. He's writing from prison. He actually was writing from like a cistern. Like he, he was, this was a bad situation. He is able to remain grounded exactly where God has him, pointing to the hope of the future and, and, and even calling the people to see exactly where, where he's at work right now. And the reason that he could remain grounded is because he was connected to God's eternal unfolding hope. Jeremiah could, re, could remain grounded in the present work of God because he was fixated on the ultimate work of God. And what I think we do too much of at this present time in Christianity is that we are fixated on all of the crises and the things that we're going through and we're trying to use the scriptures to figure them all out like a riddle. It's like we're, we're using the Bible and all the truths to go, all right, God, like I have this really confusing mess of a life. Like, help me make sense of this. But God, we will not be able to be grounded in the present work of God if we do not remain fixed on the final, ultimate work of God. Which is to make everything right. To restore everything to their to its goodness. Oftentimes our temples are destroyed. The things we intended to cling to, to live to, focus on, our places of orientation, those things get broken down. And here is my, here is my ask of you today is to re-ground yourself in the ultimate work of God. To make all things new. If you can't figure out your own life, you can't figure out, like, how's it working here? Like, immerse yourself in this truth that God is faithful and that He is on the throne and He will make all things new. We have to start there. Jesus Christ came as a Messiah to His people who were oppressed. And we have this hope that He will live again. That He will return again. And like my invitation to you at the beginning of this Christian year, the close of this calendar, is that you will let go of hopelessness. Not to cling to a better tomorrow. Not to cling to a better hope for your situation, but that you will cling to the hope of God's ultimate work of love. Amen. Um, I want to read this scripture over you that I like to read um, occasionally. Um, this scripture to me is a reminder of the fact that we already have exactly what we need. The light has already come and it's dawned in the darkness and we already have what we need. And so I want to, I want to read this over to you to finish this time and then I'm going to invite you to the table. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory 
of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you. And His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your night and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Amen. You may come. I'm so thankful for what God, the, the little ways that I can look at my own life and I can tell you how God has been faithful. I could just tell you story after story after story. But this table is what I am most thankful for. It's that, it's that Jesus, He died a physical death and He raised in a physical body. And that he, as he was resurrected, he was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And all things were brought under his feet. This is what most crowns me in him. And so, Lord, I thank you today that I can, I can give a hundred million messages on how you meet us uniquely. But you have met us ultimately, universally, you have met us at the cross and in an empty tomb. And we thank you that you came and that you're coming. We remember it and proclaim it exactly as Paul said until you return again. In Jesus' name, you may receive.
I'm thankful for Jesus' provision. Um, I don't know how to encourage you to do this. As, as I prepared for this time, I was encouraged by rereading the stories, and I am encouraged every year. You know, immerse yourself in his story. Like, like let it be new to you again. And um, this is the true hope. This is the hope that we can ground ourselves in. So, anyway, um, we do have some, we have a prompt that's every week, and I'm, Andrew is going to come and talk about that in just a minute, that this sort of enters us into this Advent timing. Um, one thing I want to make mention of is that um, Andrea and Sarah have put a lot of work into this next year's prayer journal. There's a lot of things updated. It is like this last year, we were very grateful for what we've had this year, but they've made it this beautiful, like almost piece of art that has pictures and like testimonies and all, and it's organized in a different way. But this is what it, it's grounded in the Book of Common Prayer, but it's a, it's a, um, the way that we will be reading scripture as a community will be through these journals that will be published quarterly. And if you want one, which we'd encourage you to get one, it's what we will preach from, it's what we will read from. Um, you can purchase those or you can put in a deposit on those today. They are, they are $20. We are not making any money. We're just putting more, more effort into making it a more beautiful, well-produced um, thing to interact with. And so they've done a really good job. And... You know, if you attended this last week's very, you know, jumbled up vision meeting, you learned that this next week is about the beauty. This next year, we're going to be focused on the beauty of God. And so I'm happy that we have this beautiful expression of engaging in prayer. Please be mindful of that. Like, just send 20 bucks. If you, like, and this is one thing we tell people. If you can't afford it, just tell us, because we want everyone to have this. This is something we do as a community. So that is my announcement. Andrew is going to tell you about this week's um, Advent prompt, and then we'll have somebody close us in prayer. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited about this publication. So everybody buy one, please. They're kind of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Alabaster Bibles, but we've kind of um, likened it after those. They're really beautiful. So we're super excited about it. Um, but just like Jordan was mentioning, we every every Advent season is, I mean, it's four weeks long. So we've got four Sundays and four either events or prompts that we invite everyone into. And this is just an opportunity for you really to immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. And so we just, we're so excited about all the things that we've got going on. Over the past couple of years, we've done this specific prompt um, for the first week of Advent, and we call it Baskets of Hope. So <laughs> we would love for you to fill these beautiful little baskets with hope, whatever hope looks like to you, whether that be a cute little movie night, basket, a spa, package, whatever you want to do, and then take this little basket full of your hope to a neighbor. And this is an opportunity for you to connect with somebody, just to encourage someone to bring the hope of Jesus to them um, during a time um, where we want to highlight that. 
So next week, just kind of as a heads up, our prompt will be kind of what we've done over the fall with tables with strangers. We're inviting everyone to either think of a neighbor or a stranger. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that you don't know, but to invite them into your home, into your table, and just show hospitality and love um, next week. Sure. Yes, which was really, she has an awesome testimony about baskets really bringing connections. So we've got, we've seen lots of fun testimonies just from this small prompt. So we just encourage everybody to um, latch on to this and do this. And um, we have a basket for you. Um, we would just request that it would be one per family. And um, I'll just stick them by the front door as you're heading on your way out today. Um, other than that, just be mindful that December 12th, which is a Sunday, is our Imagine Kids Christmas production, which we are so excited about. Always like my favorite Sunday of the year because they're so cute. I just cry and cry and cry the whole time. <laughs> it's wonderful. So um, that is coming up. That's the third Sunday of Advent. And then Saturday, December 18th, we're going to have our Clear Path Christmas party, chili cook-off, and dress-up competition. This year's theme is Santa's Workshop. So start preparing because I will be prepared and I win. So you guys need to try to beat me. Oh, yeah, I haven't won chili. <laughs> Last year, I cooked all the chili, though, because of COVID, so I kind of won that year. Y'all let me know, though, <laughs> if you want to make a chili, please let me know, um, because I'm also going to latch on to you for the next few weeks and be like, you're going to make chili, right? Because I don't want to make all the chili this year. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> all right, I got you. <laughs> and then uh, Wednesday, December 22nd is our candlelight Christmas service. I know this is a lot of information. It's coming out to you in newsletters and social media, and I will give it to you every Sunday, but we just want as much involvement and participation this year because we're inviting you into this beautiful story. So that is all. Chris, you may come pray us out. You can repeat the word or, or say the words in red with me. O God of all the prophets, you herald the coming of the Son of Man by wondrous signs in the heavens and on the earth. Guard our hearts from despair so that we, in the company of the faithful and by the power of your Holy Spirit, may be found ready to raise our heads at the coming near of, your, of our redemption at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you are dismissed.